0: Today's episode of the Fanboy Podcast is brought to you by you. Well, at least it can be if you'll consider becoming a Patreon patron. See, between this and the other great shows on the Revenge of the Fans podcast network, as well as the site itself, which is our lifeblood thanks to the daily work of our voluntary workforce of passionate fans, we produce countless hours of content per month and we ask for nothing in return. But it takes a great deal of time and effort to create this all for you, which is why we've relaunched our Patreon page this week with the hope that you'll consider contributing to the cause. Aside from helping to keep the site and its podcasts running, you'll also get access to exclusive benefits, including bonus episodes, commentary tracks, vote and polls to determine what gets discussed, exclusive access to scoops and behind-the-scenes gossip, a.k.a. bochinji, including stuff too wild to post on the site an appearance on the RTF podcast of your choosing and exclusive merchandise interested then visit patreon.com/revenge the fans today now let's get to the show the fanboy episode 85 buddy, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 85th edition of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? I'm gonna go ahead and hit the ground running today because there's a lot to discuss, so I'm gonna save any sort of housekeeping, anything else for later on in the show, because for now we got some big things to cover. Folks, I don't know if you realized exactly how seismic of a week us fans of DC on film have just had but in just in case it's evaded you just in case you've been too busy just in case you're not a nerd like me who has so much time to obsess and 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 just you know get way too invested in all of this stuff Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and sort of illuminate for you what might have flown under your radar. Okay, because this week brought closure to a story I've been tracking for two years, and there's also closure on other aspects of what's gone on from DC prior to this week, as we got a good look at what DC is going to look like after this week. So the first and most notable thing is the departure of Ben Affleck as Batman. He basically confirmed it earlier this week. If you missed it, uh, Deadline reported exclusively, that the film was going to have a June 25th, 2021 release date. That's the Matt Reeves film, The Batman. And they also said that Ben Affleck is going to be passing the torch, that he's not, you know, he's no longer going to be Batman and that there's going to be a new Bruce Wayne for a new generation. And again, that could have just been another one of these things that... Because it's been claimed many times before. But now is when Deadline put it in very sort of black and white terms... And then, just in case you had any doubts about the validity of that claim, Ben Affleck himself, within an hour or two, retweeted that exact article with the headline that says that Ben Affleck is passing the torch and moving on. He retweeted that and said, I can't wait to see Matt Reeves' vision The Batman in 2021 or something like that. Basically, endorsing this article that says he's out. So... He's turning the page, he's moved on, and with that comes the end of two years of bat and mouse, of will he or won't he. And look, no one can really claim credit for that scoop, because it's hardly even a scoop anymore. At this point, it was an open secret for so long that at this point, no one can really go and say, that was my story. But for me personally, as a reporter who's been tracking this for over two years, I remember when it was controversial to suggest he might leave. You know, I remember the exact moment where something just for me, like something's up here, he's on his way out because this is insanity. And it was when I wrote this piece for a Latino review called um, like the Batman bombshell, Ben Affleck may exit or something like that. And the reason I'd written it was because there had been a pattern now for over a year at this point of the studio putting out one narrative about the next Batman movie and Ben Affleck sort of contradicting it. And I'm not here to relitigate all that. It's all written and documented on the site. You can go check it out. I've reposted some older articles. They're easy to find. So I'm not going to go through that little breakdown again, but I, I do fondly recall... Being on my original podcast with uh, Kelvin Chavez and Joseph Jammer-Medina at Latino Review, the original show I was ever a part of was the Lost Fanboys podcast. And on that show, I remember I would speak with some frequency about all of the strange inconsistencies about this Batman movie. The way the studio says one thing, Affleck says another. And for me, that hit its zenith at the beginning of 2017. And that's when, for me... You know, something was up. Something I just knew. I, I'm on the trail of something here, and no one else seems to be picking up the little clues. So, for me, the pivotal moment was when, at the very end of 2016 and early, early 2017, you had actors Joe Manganello and Jeremy Irons saying in public interviews that the Batman should be filming shortly, with Manganello even saying April. And then Ben Affleck gives an, uh, an interview to The Guardian, and he said, and I quote, I want to read the quote for you, because I was just like, what? He said, okay, he was asked about, are you going to direct the Batman? And he said, that's the idea, but it's not a set thing, and there's no script. If it doesn't come together in a way I think is really great, I'm not going to do it. He said that in January of 2017 with the film about to start filming, in theory, just four months later. That's when, to me, without needing any inside sources, without needing anything, my own alarm went off and I said, this is unprecedented. The amount of times that he's gone out and flat out contradicted what other people associated with the production have had to say about this movie is just... It's it's unseen. Uh, it, it, it's unheard of. It's unprecedented, and this tells me that he's unhappy. He's not enjoying this process, and he's looking to create a back door from which he can escape. You know. So, and I guess the reason it was more rewarding for me was, I guess you know, it came from just my own hunches. It came from me. Reading the signs and sort of having an encyclopedic memory of all the different things that have been said about Batman, perhaps because I'm a little too obsessive about these things. But you know, me kind of following the, 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 the bread trail, the, the breadcrumb trail, led me to this conclusion that Afflex seems to be on his way out. And then as the months wore on, then that started getting backed up by actual insider information. Because if you recall, shortly after January, I got let go from Latino Review, I became a freelancer, and I became an independent reporter, and that's when it became much more important for me to start establishing my own sources so that I'm no longer relying on Kelvin for, to bring inside scoops and all that sort of stuff. And as I started to reach out to more and more people and building my own network of little birds at the studio, that's when I found out that my hunch was accurate. So it's been, just, it's been quite a journey trying to get some closure on this story, to get something definitive on the record like this, because, you know, I've gotten a lot of hate thrown my way. I've gotten a lot of accusations. There's lots of people out there who hate me because of either my claims that Affleck is heading out. I had people who hated me back when I warned you all that Justice League was getting overhauled and remade. You know, I wrote that exclusive in May of 2017, and I got so, like, to this day, to this day, there are enemies of mine. There are people who I encounter on Twitter who treat me like I'm the scum of the earth based on conversations that took place after I shared that exclusive on the Splash Report about the Justice League. And while the Justice League story got confirmed pretty quickly, because I wrote that story in May, and then people saw for themselves in November, only six months later, they got to see that I was right about what happened to that movie, because I did report on it before they even announced that Snyder had left. Before anyone was talking about the fact that Justice League was not going to be the movie you think it is, I was the one who wrote about that in early May. So again, that took 6 months to finally sort of, you know, come out and be be shown into the light. And this one, though, took two years with all kinds of back and forth, all kinds of so-and-so claims he's staying. Oh, and someone says he might, you know, uh, be gone. So-and-so says, oh, no, he signed a new deal. Someone else says, oh, no, 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 he's been out for ages and it's all just a formality now. Like there have been so many little things, so many times where in interviews, Affleck has had to try to toe the company line where people hear that and then they seek me out on Twitter and they go, what do you have to say about this? See, you liar, you hack, you invented this. Like it's, you know, I, I've i gotten so much like personal vitriol. I mean, there's a dude who lives in the Bronx who like has a YouTube channel and 95% of his videos are about hating me. And it all began with my reporting on Ben Affleck departing as Batman. So it, it, this has been a very divisive, polarizing story for me to cover and so for me personally to have it finally just be over and have it be black and white and clearly stated and out there you know it's not like I I'm not here to say I told you so but I'm here to just share with you all as people who watch my show or listen to my show or read my writing that your boy is feeling very at ease now because that was one underlying subplot throughout all of my last two years of Batman coverage that I've just been waiting to finally see it come to light, you know? And there was even that one little interesting bit last year about how there was that possibility he could come back, right? The one that I shared with you also about how there had been a little bit of thought put into the idea of him bookending the Matt Reeves movie with you know uh, him being present-day Batman and the bulk of that film taking place in the past, as flashbacks with a younger guy playing a younger version of him, until ultimately that idea, you know, didn't uh, didn't come to pass because Reeves was not a fan of it. Um, you know, so there's been all it's been a roller coaster ride. There, you know, there have been times where it's like maybe he will come back. So I'm just so relieved now to have all of this behind me and behind us because now we can start focusing on the next batman movie. And now we can start really turning the page and moving on and the rest of you can join those of us who accepted long ago that the old regime is really kind of getting phased out to a degree. And you know, on this subject of moving on and turning the page and beginning a new chapter, Ben Affleck wasn't the only one who sort of bowed out of the DC, you know, uh, rumor mill, the the DC sort of world this week. You know, Zack Snyder, it was revealed on Tuesday that, you know, he's going to be directing Army of the Dead for Netflix, which in a way to me makes it feel like we're finally ready to move on from from Justice League and all the drama that surrounded it, because, you know, now his focus will be on creating an epic zombie movie, which, by the way, I'm very excited for, because Dawn of the Dead is my favorite of Snyder's films, and him revisiting that, you know, that genre is very exciting for me, and those of you who follow the show know I love me some horror movies, so getting to see, like, a Snyder horror film back in that sort of mode is very, very exciting for me, but again... Now that he's announced his next project, and now that he's going to move into production on that, you've got to imagine there's going to be a whole lot less of the teasing of old Justice League stuff on his Vero. There's going to be a lot, of, you know, a lot less of this whole, let's keep looking back at what might have been, and much more on, here's the epic stuff I have coming on the way. You know, so Snyder basically kind of bowed out of everything on Tuesday in announcing Army of the Dead. And you've got to think that, you know, that he's done for now. And then the next day, we get the announcement about the Batman's release date. We get the announcement about Ben Affleck leaving. We get clarity on what's going on with Suicide Squad. That basically, James Gunn's film, first of all, it, it's now more or less been confirmed that he's directing, which was always going to be the case. I mean, I, I heard about this months ago. For me, it was always just a foregone conclusion that he was never just going to be there to write the script. The whole idea was, if we like your script and you enjoy working on this, then it's yours to direct as well. You know, they didn't hire him just to be a writer. So to me, that was a foregone conclusion. But in terms of what we learned about the film itself, that it's not going to be called Suicide Squad 2, because it's going to be less a continuation of of what we saw in the day the David Ayer film but rather sort of a, a sort of relaunch not a reboot but it's going to be a relaunch with a mostly new cast as they put it. So that right there is another indication of where we're heading that you know we're we're moving into a whole new phase of the DCEU if you still want to call it that. That basically DCEU version 1.0 is pretty much in the past now and now we're fully moving you know we're moving full on into DCEU 2.0 and we learned all that within a matter of about 24 hours between Tuesday night and Wednesday night so that is a real you know that's a blockbuster and you know while I'm sad to see some of the older stuff go I'm excited for how the next wave of DC films is starting because it looks like we're actually going to get that filmmaker driven franchise that we've heard so much about since Justice League came out. And that some of uh, so many of us claim to want. You know. They, they, let, let's, let, let's look at it. You know. Aquaman was a total James Wan thing. Yes he took advice from different places. And he worked off certain scripts and whatever. But that was his baby. You know. There's no reports that the studio came in. And made any demands that he had to stick to. You know. J- Aquaman is a James Wan joint. Shazam. Looks like it's going to be its own unique movie that David F. Sandberg got to make his way with his sensibilities. And, you know, I I love some of his comments about what he said about the third act. And I love everything that he's said so far. And we're going to circle back to Shazam a little later. But, you know, Shazam is going to be, that's David F. Sandberg's baby, Joker. Joker is going to be weird and different and surprising and Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix are working on some stuff over there that you know it's going to surprise you it's going to be different it's not it's going to be very atypical those of you who are worried that DC is just going to become another version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe where everything feels very sort of like safe and overly polished and coming off a conveyor belt that's not happening You know, Joker proves that. Then the very next film, we got our first look at Birds of Prey this week. That doesn't look conventional at all either. That little camera test that they released, it's very sort of offbeat. It has its own energy. There's almost like a rebellious quality to what we've seen so far in the initial image of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. And that 20-second clip of all those, you know, you and McGregor and Chris Messina. Like, you know, Brett and I did a full breakdown on the Birds of Prey stuff on this week's The Revengers podcast. So if you want to hear what I fully thought of Birds of Prey, I suggest you check out the most recent episode of The Revengers podcast. So I'm not, I'm not going to, like, re-explore that. But suffice it to say, this looks like this is a Kathy Yan movie. And I don't know much about Kathy Yan as a filmmaker, but you can tell that this movie's not, like, safe... It's not paint by numbers. It has its own sort of unique vision and energy, and it's not going to be something you could just kind of fit into an easy little box, you know? So Birds of Prey is another one that fits into this filmmaker-driven thing. Then there's the Batman, right? The Batman, as we know now, is Reeves' baby, and he's sticking to his vision since he has full creative control worked into his contract. Then after that, there's Suicide Squad, which, as I just noted... It's being described as a relaunch with mostly new characters. It's clear there are no handcuffs on Gunn, and he's being allowed to make the film he wants to make with the characters he wants to use. And it seems like he, since he's used to collaborating, since he comes from the MCU world of things, he's not just gonna throw everything out though, he's gonna be a team player. He's gonna, you know, it's gonna be a mostly new cast, according to reports. But I think that means we, you know, there will be some connection to the old. It's not just a full reboot. I'm fully expecting we're gonna see Viola Davis. I would be shocked if we didn't see Margot Robbie's Harlequin. I'd be shocked if we didn't see Will Smith's Deadshot. Because why wouldn't you use those actors? And why wouldn't you, why would you discard the things that actually worked from Suicide Squad? Maybe they won't all be you know, primary players in the story, but I think those three are very safe. That's just, you know, that's my hunch. That's not based on intel, but that's that's just my hunch that Davis, Robbie, and Smith are going to be in this film in some capacity. So, you know, I like that about Suicide Squad where it's, you know, he's gonna, he, he will hang on to some of the things that worked, but he's mainly putting a fresh coat of paint on it, which is really, you know, that's what James Wan did with Aquaman indirectly. That's sort of what Patty Jenkins did with Wonder Woman. There's been this sense of directors now are being able to look at the existing things and sort of pick what they want to keep and what they don't because under Walter Hamada's new regime, they're trying to, you know, move into the next phase. They're not trying to handcuff their filmmakers. They want them to be able to create freely, let their imaginations run wild and create really unique, special filmmaker-driven film. So if you're not, you know, if you're not excited by this, if you're not excited by DC Entertainment after years of meddling on Batman v Superman, meddling on Suicide Squad, doing atrocities to Justice League, even though I think it kind of worked out to a degree a little bit with Justice League, you know, they, they had their fingers in the soup for so long that now seeing them take a step back and allowing their creators to just create. I mean, that's very exciting. And for those of you who've been longing for this filmmaker-driven thing, who have felt like stay out of the director's hair and just let them make what they make, I hope you're not out there contradicting yourself now, freaking out about decisions that Matt Reeves are making or decisions that Kathy Ann is making. Like right now, if you want filmmaker-driven, then this comes with it. You got to be ready for this. You know, I equate it to, you know, my Star Wars fandom. Because aside from the Star Wars stories, where Lucasfilm has been very sort of hands-on, you know, with uh, Rogue One, they brought in a new director to finish that movie. With uh, Han Solo, a Star Wars story, you know, we know what happened there. They were they fired Lord and Miller with two or three weeks to go, and they brought in Ron Howard. You know, so aside from those, though, when it comes to the episodes, episode seven and eight, they were very filmmaker-driven with those films. You know, episode seven was very much a J.J. Abrams movie. Episode eight was very much a Ryan Johnson movie. And what happened with me? I loved episode seven, and episode eight, I didn't care for one bit. You know, I, I didn't like hate it, but it just it didn't get me. It didn't excite me. It didn't get me looking forward to episode 9 and it really kind of put a damper on my overall excitement for the trilogy. But you know what? That is what happens. When you have a studio that trusts filmmakers, sometimes you'll love what they create, sometimes you won't. That level of inconsistency is just par for the course if you're really going to be a studio that allows your filmmakers to go, okay, we're giving you your budget. We're giving you all the tools you need. We've approved your script. Just go and make your movie your way. If you're going to do that, the results will vary. And us, as audience members, have to be ready for that. Have to be ready that sometimes directors are not going to do things that we like. But if we do want these directors to be able to flex their artistic muscles, we have to be patient, we have to give them a chance, and we have to be open-minded. You know, again, because you can't be talking out both sides of your mouth here, basically saying, I want the directors to have full creative freedom, but if they make a creative choice I don't like, I'm going to go insane. You can't do both. (laughs) I mean, you can, but then you're being a hypocrite, you know, and I'm not trying to pass judgment on you if you are one of the people who feels those two ways, but doesn't realize how they contradict one another. But... It just, you know, we're in a new, exciting chapter for the, you know, cinematic DC universe. And I hope you guys are ready to go for the ride because there's some really exciting stuff coming. And, you know, if you're a fan of, like the actual comics that D, you know that these movies are based on DC's kind of known for this aren't they they're always kind of rebooting and reinventing and there's the new 52 and there's the whatever they you know, they're always constantly sort of going okay this is the way things have been but now we're going to rejigger it and move into the forward, there will be a move into the future there will be things that are familiar but there's things that are new so essentially they're bringing what works in their comic line to the movies and we'll see how it works. But, you know, if you're a fan of comic books and of the source material, and if you're one of these people who loves the idea of, of being a slave to source material, well, they're kind of following the you know, the comic book blueprint here of kind of reinventing itself on the fly. And every few years, you know, we, they put a fresh coat of paint on their older characters. So that's just happening in the movies now, you know? Um and, you know, before we, we, we get into some Batman casting and into and, and and a general look at DC's slate, because now we really do have a slate to look towards, I want to circle back to Shazam, like I mentioned earlier. You know, I've always said that necessity is the mother of invention, right? That's an old phrase, but it applies to the filmmaking process. Because if you're a director or a writer, and you know that your film doesn't have a blank check that you know that, okay, we need to make this movie within this relatively tight budget, it forces you to be more creative, and it forces you to focus on things that aren't expensive. And what is the most inexpensive commodity in a movie? The writing, the characters, the story, the plot. When you don't have a huge budget to throw in bells and whistles and all kinds of spectacles and stunts and insanity... It forces you to make sure that your characters, your dialogue, your plot, your general storyline is so engaging that you don't really need the bells and whistles for the story to really land and for the story to really sink its teeth into the audience. And that seems to be what's going on with Shazam. Shazam, so far from everything we've seen, looks like a great production. It looks visually on par with what we've seen in films like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and stuff. Visually, it looks like a well-made film. But yet the reports are that it was made for 90 million bucks or perhaps less. And when you consider that, and then you look at some of Sandberg's comments, you know, this week there was a great quote floating around about why he made the, the third act of the film a much more intimate threat. Rather than Shazam trying to save the world... He's really just trying to save this one carnival. And they may sound kind of funny and like they're trivializing it, but if you think about it, it makes the threat much more personal. It makes it intimate. It makes it he's in this one specific area and there are people in peril, people he loves in trouble, and it makes his battle with Dr. Sivana and it makes his battle with the seven deadly sins it more has, you know, it, it makes it more of a personal thing. You have real skin in the game. Sometimes when you make it, now we're saving the entire world, or an entire country, or an entire city, the stakes get so overblown that you lose what's at the emotional core of these characters. What's at stake for them? What is their personal journey? What lessons are they learning now as they develop as a character? Sometimes when you go too big and there's buildings falling and giant invading alien armies and all this other stuff, all these other bells and whistles that you can do when the studio's like, yeah, we'll give you 200 million, we'll give you 250 million. Whatever you need, we'll figure it out because we trust you. When the studio now is going, listen, I need you to make the best movie you can for 90 million bucks, it forces you to have to focus on your characters and your setting. And I, I I like where that yeah you know, I like where they're going with this, and I and again necessity is the mother of invention and I feel like David Sandberg, uh, Todd Phillips and Kathy Yan who are all making films that all seem to be under a hundred million dollar budgets budgeted at under a hundred million dollars, you know they're really gonna let these characters shine and they know where the focus needs to be. The focus should not be on spectacle and CG villains and all this over-the-topness, but more so on creating interesting, personal, relatable characters. So that's why I'm excited for Shazam, and that's why I'm excited for what Walter Hamada is doing. Because remember, I've been telling you guys for a while, Walter Hamada comes from New Line. Walter Hamada comes from producing horror films. Horror films are known for costing very little but making a lot. And the way that they're able to do that is because they can streamline the story to what's the hook? What is what makes this story novel and interesting? How do we take a simple concept and turn it into something that a lot of people will wanna buy into. So people are more interested in the concept than in any perceived bells and whistles and blockbuster spectacle. That's what the hard niche has done so well. That's where you get movies that cost 5 million bucks and open to 65 million bucks. That's where you do that because it's more about the concept, the characters, the hook. And if you look at what's going on with Shazam, if you look at what's going on with Birds of Prey, you look at what's going on with Joker, you get this sense of these filmmakers are, ta- are 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 focusing on their own little story on their own neat easy to sell hook and that is going to be what brings eyeballs to it they're not going to need all these bells and whistles in order to make their budget back and in order to be hugely successful you know in, in joker it's a one it, all you need is one sentence to sell the joker on people it's the joker's origin story And for people who love the, you know, who've grown up on the Joker, that, bam, they're sold. You don't need to, you know, it doesn't need to be anything more than that. That will hook people. And it's not going to cost much. And it's the kind of movie that will probably turn a profit in a week or two, you know. So to me, that sort of stuff is exciting. I don't know if that was like a tangent that did anything for you. But I'm just excited to see Walter Hamada's sensibilities now being able to be witnessed. Because, you know, he's very sort of covert. He's not out there in front of a podium making statements or, you know, being the PR man or the hype guy for DC on film. He's just quietly rolling up his sleeves and doing work. And it's up to us to see where his blueprints are. And right now, you could see his blueprints all over the place. He's letting his creators create. He's no longer allowing allowing these budgets to get overinflated, which means that the films will not be overblown. And, you know, he's going kind of in a patient way. We're we're not suddenly announcing, here's seven new movies coming out in the next three years. Everything's very patient. But with that said, they're feeling very confident over there because of the fact that Aquaman just made a billion bucks, which from what I'm told, no one was expecting it to be that huge of a triumph. They knew they had a they had a good feeling that it was going to be a good boost, a good shot in the arm for the brand, but the way it's actually performing is like beyond their wildest dreams. So right now at DC Entertainment it's all High fives and fist bumps, and we're doing fine. And we survived Justice League, we survived DCEU 1.0, and now people are excited about what we're doing and what the future is. So they're very excited. And on that note, you know, we kind of have a slate to look forward to now. You know, remember, Hamada is not really about like, you know, unveiling here's a full long-range slate. But we kind of got that this week, and that should tell you how confident the studio is feeling. Because to recap, look at this. In 2019, this year, we're going to get Shazam and Joker. In 2020, we're going to get Birds of Prey, and the fantabulous emancipation of one uh, Harlequin. And we're going to get Wonder Woman. So we're getting two movies in 2020. Then in 2021, we're getting The Batman, and we're getting Suicide Squad. So now we have the next several years mapped out. That's not a bad deal. That's not a bad deal. These are all films that, you know, I think look pretty interesting on paper, or that have creative teams behind them, that I can't wait to see what they cook up with. So for right now, we've got a slate ahead of us, and that should give you some idea of how confident the studio is feeling. Now, you know, where does that leave us with with other projects? You know, some of you have asked me about, you know, well, what about New Gods or what about Green Lantern Corps or Supergirl or any of those other things? You know, where where do those fall into place? Where are those going to get slotted in? Will any of them enter production this year? Um my answer to most of those is no. My answer is this slate is probably what we're getting through 2021, but with a couple of wild cards, you know, because new gods, remember last week, I mentioned that there might be more movement on new gods than anyone has realized. And I found out recently that I I, I was right about that, where DuVernay has turned in a treatment So there is, you know, some semblance of what her movie will be and what kind of budget it would need to be told the right way. And there has been movement on that. So I would not be surprised if that gets announced, you know, a little later this year and will then start filming perhaps early next year to be released somewhere in 2021 along with the Batman and Suicide Squad. But that's again, that's a hunch. You know, a part of me wants to say that anything else, aside from these six films we already know about, is going to come out in 2022. Like, a part of me wants to say 2022 will be the year that we see New Gods and Supergirl. You know, and then in 2023 is when we'll see Green Lantern Corps and maybe Batgirl, you know. But it's, right now, you know, everything is Everything's still being developed, but the one that seems to be farthest along right now is New Gods. So for those of you asking, you know, is anything else going to be added to this current slate of six films? Um, that's, that, that, that's the one that I think could get thrown in there. There's also an outside chance for Batgirl, because we know that the studio is very high on Christina Hodson, the writer of Bumblebee, who also wrote Birds of Prey. So they're big on her, and I'm sure if she turns in a Dynamite Batgirl script that can be produced on the cheap, that they may, you know, fast-track that. But, you know, as of now, I haven't heard anything about her turning in a treatment. I haven't heard anything about what direction she's taking with the project. So I get the sense that Batgirl is still, you know, a ways off. But that's more of a hunch than anything else. Um, But now, I guess it's time. I guess it's time to get into the real meat and potatoes of what a lot of you want to discuss today, which is the actors who are floating around through back channels, who are supposedly up for Matt Reeves, the Batman. So I've got a list of names to share with you. Some you've heard before, some you haven't, but I've got a way that I've broken them down. And uh, I'm gonna stick with that way because it's an easy way to sort of break it down for you. I um, Actually, let me count the names. I'm gonna do it right here with you on the air because why not? I don't feel like hitting pause. So I have a list here that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12 names. I thought it was 10. Uh, so it's 12 names. And I would say it's like 10 of them are one particular type, one of them is kind of bridging the gap kind of like closer to how we might picture a Batman and then one of them is you know right out of the uh it came right out of the mold for how you would anticipate Batman to look especially in his early 30s so let's talk about this shall we so going back to some of my earliest reporting on the Matt Reeves Batman film one sort of Recurring theme that I've noticed is that he doesn't really care about height or overall body structure or stature, you know. Because we have Ben Affleck, who I think is like six two, six three, big, broad-shouldered guy, he has chiseled from rock, especially in BVS. And meanwhile, he's looking at guys like Jake Gyllenhaal, who I love, by the way. But, you know, but he's like a smaller, smaller framed guy, you know, and he can bulk up. But in general, he's not. You don't think of Jake Gyllenhaal as like this big, you know, powerful action powerhouse. Right. Then another name that came up was Jack Houston was another one where, you know, he's a guy who's shorter in stature and in overall build. And again, it kind of paints this picture of Matt Reeves, not really, you know, he doesn't care if it's a big dude or not. He's more concerned about the acting and, you know, just making sure that this guy fits into his story. But there is like a recurring sort of theme here. So some of these names I'm gonna share with you. You know, this is this is what other writers are talking about, other fellow, because you guys don't even know, in the DMs on Twitter, We all have our own little sidebar conversations. You know, there are these big group chats where several members from several sites all speak every day and we compare notes. And we hear, what did you hear? And what did you hear? And all that verifies. Where did you hear this from? And we cross-reference each other sometimes. And sometimes we even help each other out. You know, I've had sites give me some information to share, and I've given sites information they can share. And the other, so there's a lot of information sharing that happens behind the scenes that I'm not sure you guys know about. And these lists, you know, what these names I'm about to share with you are a combination of things I've heard from sources and things I've heard from journalists that are, you know, that have their own connections. And remember, like I said last week. I'm not going to be writing scoops on the site for this sort of stuff anymore. Because to me, I really don't want to contribute to the noise too much. I don't want to, you know, I don't need to know all 117 people who are up for a role. But for the sake of, you know, Ben Affleck just left. And everyone wants to know who the next Ben Affleck, you know, the next Batman actor is. I'm just going to share with you guys here in a strictly sort of rumor capacity the names I've been hearing, and then I'm going to share with you the one that no one's really talking about that I personally am most excited for because I have someone saying that this person's a possibility. Aha, a teaser. So the names that I'm hearing are Ansel Elgort from Baby Driver, Dylan O'Brien, Logan Lerman, Jack O'Connell, Richard Madden, Kit Harrington, Nicholas Holt, Noah Centineo keeps coming up. And to me, those qualify as the ones who are all sort of that Jack O'Connell type. That's how I kind of put them all in that category. These kind of like little, skinny, serious actor guys who don't necessarily have this big physical presence, but can probably act their asses off in the right scenario but you know so that's that's one category and there are a lot of those names floating around and they're all around that same you know physical type so no matter which one of them if one of them gets it you kind of get an you, you get the same general physical sense for what Matt Reeves has in mind for his Batman you know what i mean that he doesn't mind a guy who's like 5'8 5'9 5'10 and kind of smaller in stature as long as they can act and they can bring his story to life one of the other names floating around that to me is the one that sort of bridges the gap between these, you know, these Jack O'Connell types and what I consider the prototypical Batman look is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson of Kick-Ass fame, Aaron Taylor Johnson of Godzilla fame. I mean, you know, he's been in all kinds of stuff, but you know, the, the, those might be the films that you know him best from. Oh, and of course, uh, he was Quicksilver in The Avengers um, in, in Age of Ultron. So Aaron Taylor Johnson is a name that's getting floated around. So that's an interesting one. And again, all these names come from a hive of what reporters are talking about based on things they've heard from their sources. So I can't really vouch for any of those, but the mere fact that I can vouch on my end for the fact that he wanted Hall and Houston and O'Connell and Centineo, it tells me that this list that's floating around internally, there must be something to it. So I, that's why I, I feel comfortable sharing those names that I got from other reporters and based on their sourcing, because some of it also lines up with my sourcing, you know, O'Connell, Harrington. Um, Centineo, you know, I've shared those with you. So I know that these guys are not on crack. But there's one name that none of my writer colleagues and none of their sources have shared with them that I've heard from someone who I trust who's kind of just my personal hookup on information, who's been right about a lot of stuff. And it's supposedly who the studio wants, okay? Because if you, uh, you know, if you recall, yesterday over on the Twitter, uh, Justin Kroll of Variety shared this idea that the studio wants a familiar face. And I found out, according to one of my sources, who that familiar face is. Are you ready, folks? <laughs> uh, the familiar face is none other than Army Hammer. Uh, now, I know that that may be like, what? He's not a household name. He's not that familiar. But I feel like, I guess there may, maybe they want him to sort of split the difference. It's, it's part of like a compromise. Like, okay, we know that Reeves is not going to go for some A-list star that everyone knows because he thinks it'll be distracting. But Army Hammer has been out there. He was in The Man from UNCLE. He was in The Social Network. He was in, uh, I mean, that big, awful, uh, (laughs) The Lone Ranger, you know, but he's out there. There's some familiarity with him. And he does kind of fit that look that you think of from the comics for Batman. At least that's what I think. So apparently, according to one of my sources, that is the studio's top choice. And now it's a matter of them having these conversations with Matt Reeves and deciding if they can make a deal, if they can reach that compromise, or if he is in fact dead set on one of these O'Connell type guys. So there you go, folks. Those are some of the names I've heard, you know, just to recap. Ansel Elgort from Baby Driver, Dylan O'Brien, Logan Lerman, Jack O'Connell, R- Richard Madden, Kit Harrington, Nicholas Holt, Noah Centineo, Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Oh, and also um, Taryn Egerton, who fits into that Jack O'Connell sort of vein as well. And then... You know, what I'm adding into the mix is that Army Hammer's name is actually in the conversation. And that's exciting for me because while he's been on a lot of fan casts and I've been talking about him for over a year, I've never had someone on the inside tell me that he's being looked at. Everyone that, I, that I've heard from someone on the inside has been your Jack O'Connell, Kit Harrington type of deal yesterday was the first time i ever heard someone say that he knows six different people involved at warner brothers and dc entertainment who say that army hammer is heavily in the mix and that to me is where i'm going to put a lot of my hope because listen you know like i said earlier i have to trust matt reeves if i want a filmmaker driven universe I have to assume that whoever he casts is going to fit his vision to a T and bring his Batman to life and in his mind be the definitive Batman for a whole new generation. So I have to trust him. But with that said, none of those other names really do anything for me. Listen, I love Ansel Elgort. Baby Driver is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. I think he's great. But I don't necessarily, you know, picturing him in the cowl it just, to me, it you know, I don't know. It, it's like a kid. It, it, to me, I feel like it would look like, like a kid playing dress up. You know what I mean? That, that's how it would look to me. Same thing with Taron Egerton. I love Kingsman. I think Taron Egerton is a great talent. In fact, after Kingsman came out and before they had announced Tom Holland as Spider-Man, I was thinking I would love to see Taron Egerton as Spidey. So none, none of what I'm saying right now is a judgment on these actors. I think a lot of them are really great. I think Richard Madden is doing great work. I think Nicholas Holt, by the way, Nicholas Holt, there's something about him that directors really love. And, you know, it, 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 it tells me that maybe we've barely scratched the surface on what he can offer. Because to me, I don't really think that much of Nicholas Holt, but his name has come up before. And, you know, not to bring up a polarizing individual, I'm definitely not glorifying him, But I remember a few years back after Man of Steel came out, people spoke to Brian Singer and they asked him, you know, if you could go back and do it all differently with Superman Returns, what would you have done? And he said, you know, I probably, you know, I wouldn't have connected it to the Donner continuity. I would have started from scratch and I would have hired someone like a Nicholas Holt to be my Superman. And I remember being like, Nicholas Holt for Superman? Like, I don't see that at all. And then here we go again. You know, yesterday it was uh, Umberto from, you know, the the Rapman, my former colleague over at Latino Review, who shared Nicholas Holt. And, you know, it just astounds me that this, you know, this guy must have a lot more up his sleeve than we realize if people can look at him and go, oh yeah, he could be a convincing Superman or Batman because I don't really see it. I love the guy, but I just, I don't see it. But it's just interesting to me to have Holt's name come up now as both members of the World's Finest. You know, Singer would have used him for Superman. And according to Umberto Gonzalez, he's in the conversation to be the Batman. So if you're a fan of Nicholas Holt, you know, apparently you're not alone because the industry likes him. Um, So there you go, folks. Those are the latest casting rumors. Uh, I'm not going to be writing any stuff about this on the site because like I said last week, I don't really, Yeah, I I don't want to get too lost in the, in in the noise out there. And for me, it's more, you know, I'd rather just share this with you guys casually as just, you know, this is just some uh, water cooler talk between us, you know, because listen, these are just rumors and sometimes rumors pan out. Sometimes they don't. Yes, I've had many that have come true, but I've also had some that didn't. And it's really interesting, too, because it's so hard to report on this stuff. It really is. Things change so much. And there's stuff where like, you know, when I think back on rumors of mine that didn't pan out, you know, the, the thing that happened last year with Aquaman, with the Aquaman trailer, supposedly debuting during WonderCon, you know, the same source who gave me that information which ended up being, it was not that it was bogus, but it just, it didn't pan out and it made me look awful. The same source who gave me that is the same one who told me about the DC Daily uh, news show, is the same one who, when the Harley Quinn animated series was about to get its big unveiling at uh, Big Apple Comic Con or New York Comic Con last fall, they sent me a private Warner Brothers link of that one minute teaser of Harley Quinn, just for me to see before anyone else did. And I tweeted out about it before they showed it at the panel. So like this person is absolutely reliable and they're absolutely who they say they are and they work for who they say they are. But even they've given me information where sometimes it pans out and sometimes it blows up in my face. So if you are a writer from another site and you've come across this episode of the fanboy podcast, and you are thinking of running an article about any of this, please be sure to mention in your posts that these are just rumors. If they were much more solid than what they actually are, guess what? I would be writing about them on my own site and trying to generate traffic there rather than talking about them on a free podcast. Okay, so if any of this stuff was something I was willing to really put my name on and really take all the way to the bank, I would be writing some sort of exclusive report about it on revengeofthefans.com. The fact that I'm just talking about it with you here means I just mean for this to be a casual conversation. I'm sharing with you guys some of the inside information I've been given, but we still have to see how this all plays out okay, so don't get, let's not get ahead of ourselves, let's not run wild with headlines about, oh, that's it, MFR said that Taryn Egerton is the next Batman, because I'm not saying that, all right, um, but that's it, so for those of you who wanted to talk Batman casting, hopefully that covers all your bases, and you know, just in case you're not quite sold on Army Hammer, or if you don't know who he is, or if you don't understand like why I think he fits the comic mold, first just look at him. He's 32 years old. He's six foot five. He's got a strong, square, you know, uh, all-American face. He—I uh, mean, just go Google like Army Hammer Batman, because a lot of people have done little mock-ups of him of what he would look and feel like as Batman. And to me, he nails the look, you know, perfectly. Um, But aside from that, you know, he was already almost Batman. You know, George Miller cast Army Hammer as Batman back in 2009 for Justice League Mortal. So if George Miller of Mad Max fame saw him and saw Batman, I'm not going to go ahead and challenge George Miller. Um, So that's why like... I just, there's a lot of reasons where when I look at Army Hammer, he looks like one of these guys who was chiseled out of stone to play a superhero one day. He just has that big, striking, imposing, dashing physique and that look, that overall look. Um, And he's shown he's got acting chops and he's shown that he's willing to make any kind of movie and he'll do a blockbuster and he'll do an indie and he'll do whatever because, you know, he's he's got range and he has a desire to just kind of be out there. And to me, that's exciting to me. You know, this this is a guy who Matt Reeves can work with, can mold into the Batman of the future. He's got enough you know, known uh, no ability to bring in people who perhaps loved him and Call Me By Your Name or the social network. But also, he's not so well known that he's going to totally just overpower the character of Batman. You know what I mean? He could still make it his own into a whole generation of people who aren't familiar with Army Hammer, you know, because they're not one of the nine people who saw The Lone Ranger or one of the 12 people who saw The Man from UNCLE. For him, he'll feel fresh. For them, he'll feel fresh, and, and he'll be able to carve out his own space in their mind as the new Batman. You know, I consider him at a level of fame comparable to when Henry Cavill got Superman, where, you know, Henry Cavill had done some TV work, and he'd showed up in The Count of Monte Cristo, and he'd been in The, in the Tudors, and he'd been on uh, that one, The Immortals, you yeah, so some people knew him, so he had some knowability. He was somewhat of a familiar face, but he wasn't so famous that you couldn't instantly picture him as Superman when he finally put on the suit. So I consider Army Hammer in that same sort of level. So here's hoping that the studio and Reeves actually come, you know, come together and reach that compromise and decide that Hammer has the acting chops to succeed with Reeves' script, but also has the overall look that the studio wants for their Batman. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, you know, Reeves has full creative control. Ultimately, it is his decision, not the studio's. So just because Hammer is the studio's top choice doesn't mean that you know Reeves is even going to give it that much of a second thought. You know, so that that is just the sad but true element here. And again, it's part of the perils, the pros, and the cons of a filmmaker-driven universe like this. And by the way, one of my other sort of backdoor reasons for wanting Army Hammer is that visually, he creates a symmetry from what we've seen already of Batman. He could fit, he could conceivably be a younger version of Ben Affleck's Batman. And listen, that may not even be important anymore, right? Because they're they're doing a lot of sort of retconning and a lot of kind of reboot within a sequel type stuff with these movies. But to me, there's still this one overlying, weird, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but there's one thing I can't quite wrap my head around, which is the shared universe is still intact. They're not going to focus on it, and it's going to be years before we see any other team-up stuff, as Toby Emmerich has said, and last week David Sandberg said, you know, yes, we other heroes are out there, but this story is just about Shazam. So, you know, they're acknowledging that all these heroes exist and whatever, and, and, and eventually we could get around to like a Justice League 2 or a World's Finest type deal. But to me, the thing that I can't wrap my head around is, okay, so Jason Momoa is Aquaman, and he's going to be here conceivably for a while. His movie just made a billion bucks. We're going to see a lot of Jason Momoa as Arthur Curry in the years to come. Then you got Gal Gadot, who has Wonder Woman 1984, and in general, you know that she's not done with Wonder Woman yet. We're going to see more of Diana, because Warner Brothers would be a fool to not incorporate her in more things. You already got Patty Jenkins talking about Wonder Woman 3, you know these franchises. Esto sigue de largo. Uh, my New Yorican fans will understand that. You know, like we've got time. This is not ending anytime soon. With people like Jason Momoa, with people like Gal Gadot still in the mix. So if we do get to that Justice League two one day, even if it's five, six, seven years from now, it's gonna be really weird. If you have these people from who are holdovers from the first wave of the DCEU with Momoa and Gadot, now suddenly sharing scenes with a Batman who looks and feels nothing like the Ben Affleck Batman. So that's why to me, I want them to do the hammer thing because I think he would create some visual symmetry that a lot of these other actors wouldn't. You could conceivably just try to say, listen, we recast him, but this is still, you know, the Batfleck Batman with Hammer under the cowl. I think he could fully nail the Batfleck feel, but just be a younger version of it, you know, and then maybe age him up for the next Justice League, put put a little gray on the temples, whatever. And I think people will buy that. If we've got like a Kit Harington or a Taron Egerton or a... Um, Who's the other one? Or Jack O'Connell under the cowl, standing next to Aquaman and Gal Gadot. It's going to be weird, you know, but that's just me. Maybe I'm thinking too much of it. Maybe by the time we do finally get to another Justice League, the entire landscape is different and I'm worrying about nothing. But that is another one of my covert reasons for championing Hammer, which is that to me, he could very convincingly be the Batfleck version of Batman. And that's just uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And that's why my second choice is Aaron Taylor Johnson. I was actually really surprised when his name popped up, and the fact that he seems to be you know there are whispers about his name in conjunction with Batman, because you know I didn't love him in Godzilla, but I thought he was pretty great and kick ass. And I've heard great things in general about some of his other, like I think he was in Nocturnal Animals and Jonathan Brady, who writes for the site, was telling me that he's a phenomenal talent and similar to Nicholas Holt, he says he's an actor that hasn't been given a full-on chance to shine yet. He's been underutilized and misused in some of the franchises he's been a part of. So Jonathan Brady talked up Aaron Taylor Johnson to me and when I look at him physically, I could see him as a, as, as a young Batman. I, I buy it. I could picture him in the cowl. I just, I can see it. And maybe I'm getting too hung up on the visuals. And maybe some of you think I shouldn't be so concerned with how tall or how muscular or how square their jaw is. But, you know, for better or worse, you know, there is a specific look in mind when we think of Batman. Especially because, say what you will about the way he portrayed him. Ben Affleck, as a physical specimen in that cape and cowl, especially during the BVS days, I mean, that was Batman come to life. So if we're going to go from having a depiction of Batman, who basically looks like he walked right out of the Arkham games, and now you're going to give us a Batman that's going to require some sort of leap of faith, you know, it's... It's it's not going to be an easy pill for all to swallow. That's why earlier on when I was saying to you guys to please be patient and open-minded, that goes to me too. That applies to me because I see Dylan O'Brien and Logan Lerman and Richard Madden and Noah Centineo and I just want to start hitting my head against a wall. So, you know, we're in this together, folks. We're in this together where if any of these names are freaking you out, I'm with you. But we're going to try to just have to... Take a deep breath and just hope that in, you know, in Reeves vision, we shall trust. But uh, yeah, Army Hammer is my top pick. Aaron Taylor Johnson is my second. And I'm excited to hear that they're both at least in the conversation and that Army Hammer in general is the studio's top pick to play the new Batman. As far as Reeves and his general vision, There's one word that keeps coming back from different facets of this production and I find it notable and exciting. And that is the word specific. I've heard from different walks of the industry that Reeves has a very specific vision. So last week I heard from someone who works on the design end of things who says that he and some of his colleagues have heard that he's getting ready to kind of bring all his shot callers together and start talking about design ideas for the new costume, the new Batmobile, all that sort of stuff, and that he has a very specific vision of what he wants everything to look and feel like. Then, yesterday... There was Justin Kroll from Variety, who I trust because Variety is a trade. Justin Kroll knows his stuff. He doesn't just pick things out of thin hair. He said that when talking about the actors who are up for Batman or supposedly in contention, he has a very specific window of the ages he's willing to look at. And that you could you know, that he mentioned two actors who were only seven years apart, And one was considered too young, and one was considered too old. That means that he has this real tight, very specific idea of what he wants this Batman's age to be. And in general, it sounds like Mr. Reeves has a very deliberate thing that he wants to do and say and express with this movie. And again, if you're someone who has been dying to see these creators just create and let their imaginations run at full force towards creating an iconic and memorable version of these characters that we all know and love, hearing that, a, that, that the filmmaker has a very set thing in mind should be encouraging to you. Because you always want specifics you always want someone to not go yeah we'll figure it out or oh that's not exactly what i had in mind but yeah i'll compromise or yeah, I'll, you know you know this will be a team of a team effort i'm willing to work with 10 of you to come together on a consensus no reeves knows what he wants he has a laser-like focus on it and he's going for it so you know what i'm down Let's see what he's going to do with here. I, I've loved everything I've heard so far about his script, about how the real, you know, the noir detective driven stuff is really very accurate. It's going to be low on spectacle and high on, like, you know, getting into Batman's psyche as he tries to figure out this very, you know, th- this large case that he's trying to unravel, this central mystery. And to me, that's very exciting. And you know what else is exciting? Reeves confirmed this week that there is a rogues gallery that has to get looked at and cast. And that tells me it's going to be another one of these stories where similar to Long Halloween, similar to Hush, similar to other iconic bat stories, we're going to encounter several of his rogues throughout the story as he tries to get to the bottom of the central mystery. To me, that's really exciting. To me, that's like, wow, that's like my favorite, you know, this is going to hark back to my favorite Batman stories. So that that was a neat little confirmation that with all the other news everyone was talking about, kind of flew under the radar. And it's something I've been talking about for a while. Remember last year when the Penguin stuff first started popping up, you know, I wrote exclusively that Penguin will be a villain, but not the villain, because the film was going to include several rogues. And to have him now confirm that feels pretty nice. I'm not gonna lie, you know. And I I tweeted about this. I'm not gonna lie that the the fact that every time Matt Reeves opens his mouth with some new bit of insight about what he's working on with Batman, it always falls right in line with the stuff I've been reporting. So that that doesn't suck. That feels pretty good. Um, So yeah, listen, you know, I'm excited. We're gonna have to give Reeves the benefit of the doubt on a lot of this. I hope he goes with Hammer. If he doesn't go with Hammer, then my next choice is Aaron Taylor-Johnson. And then we have all those Jack O'Connell types. So we'll see how it shakes out. I have a feeling that this Batman stuff, we should have answers, you know, final answers on the casting for everything. I would say by the spring. Because if they're planning on filming in the fall, in November, or perhaps a little sooner than that, you know, you're going to want to get your ducks in a row and your primary cast announced a few months prior to that, and a few months prior would put you right smack dab in the spring. So the way I look at it, my little tentative timeline in my head, based on conversations I've had, is that these next couple of months are going to be about the design elements, getting, you know, locking in the final script, but also the design elements, getting the costume in mind, you know, getting all of, all the logistics of the costume, the Batmobile, all that sort of stuff. Then the next phase for the spring will be the casting process. And then, you know, summer will be all the, the, the pre-production, getting the sets built and doing all that sort of good stuff so that in November or whenever it is in the fall that they end up filming, everything is good and ready to go. That's kind of my own sort of rough sketch of how I see the Batman production going. And before we wrap up today, you know, A lot's been made about what lessons will Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment learn from the success of Aquaman, right? There's been a lot of stuff, you know, there's all these different almost like contradicting takeaways for how you can look at Aquaman's success. And so there's been a lot of questions on that, and it looks like this week we finally got our answers, You know, the big things that DC Entertainment and Walter Hamada and Toby Emmerich over at Warner Brothers seem to have taken away from Aquaman's success and the fact that it crossed the $1 billion mark and is the first DC film in uh, ages to do so. And it's the top grossing DC Comics film of all time worldwide. You know, what they seem to have taken away from that is we did it. We survived the drama of the past, and we're ready to turn the page and look to the future. Remember, I, I spoke about this a lot all of last year. Everything was preparing for the future, and Aquaman was going to be that turning point where they figured out, okay, did the did, did these last couple of really bumpy years we have destroy everything? Are our audiences going to give us their goodwill and their faith again? Are we going to be able to keep making DC films that are received well and create positive buzz after everyone practically ignored Justice League? After everyone was so disheartened in 2016 because of how polarizing Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad were? And the answer was yes. They survived all that. And people and audiences around the world were willing to overlook these last couple of bumpy years and all of the drama and all of the stuff that the previous people and in charge had done to these films and all of the studio meddling, they survived all of that unscathed and created a film that is their biggest hit ever at the box office. So the big takeaway for them was now the world is our oyster. We're confident We have these movies coming that we really believe in. We have these filmmakers that we are ready to support. And now it's time to just let fans just enjoy it. Let's forget about the past. Let's embrace the future and let's move on. That was the big thing that came out of this week. So we finally got our answers on the studio's takeaways from Aquaman Success. We got our answers on Batman. We got our answers on what James Gunn is going to do with Suicide Squad. We have an idea of what the next three years of DC on film is going to look like. This has been a huge week, and it's been incredible to chronicle it. Some of it was by surprise. Some of it I've been working on trying to get closure on for two years. And it's just, it's been a great week. And I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I know some of you are feeling sad. Some of you are feeling anxious about some of these decisions being made. And all I got to say is just hang in there. This is what happens when you're trusting your filmmakers to follow their vision. Sometimes their vision will not line up with yours. But if you love these characters and you believe and you truly believe that you want to see these creators be left alone to just create, then it's time to celebrate and sit back because there's a lot of great stuff coming on the way. And personally for me, the Batman on June 25th, that's when the old Batman movies used to come out. They always came out around my birthday. My birthday is June 23rd. So having Batman return to his roots coming out in June, you know, I just, I'm excited for the future. And I hope you are too. And for those of you who've been following my reporting on all this kind of stuff, you know, thanks for all your support. For those of you who are new, who are just finding me for one way or another... You know, hi, welcome aboard. I hope you subscribe. I hope you enjoy the show. Um, if you'll please consider giving the show a nice five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate that. Because last week I shared with you, we got our first so-so review. There was a gentleman out there who was uh, not so thrilled with some of uh, you know some of the things I talk about here on the show, and. They left me a sort of, you know, angry review. And my issue with that is, listen, I have no, I I don't fault them at all for what they had to say. And I addressed it on last week's show, if you go back and listen. So that doesn't upset me. But what upsets me is that when you go and look at the Fanboy podcast now on Apple Podcasts, the first review that comes up is the most recent one and it's that one and it's you know it's not it's not a good look it's not I don't think it properly represents what this show is this person doesn't seem to have an understanding of what this show is all about so if you are one of the people who understands what this show is all about please consider leaving me a five star review so that it pushes that one out of being the spotlighted one I don't really like having that be the first thing people see is this one disgruntled customer over 85 episodes I have one person who got annoyed and right now their voice is the one that everyone sees first you know I'm not a fan of that so help me out if you if you'd be so kind but uh that's enough out of me folks until next week life is chaos be kind adios